whenever you're ready. All right. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, working uh, title production. Here today with my main man, B-Town. What's up? We're here to talk a little Seahawks. It's been a bit of a roller coaster the last couple seasons, I would say. Um, we were pretty fortunate for a nice run here with the Russell, Pete Carroll, Legion of Boom regime, but it does seem to appear things are starting to slow, if not come to the end. So we got some topics we'll run through today, start with a couple at the top, and be a pretty open conversation, but we try to not be too hot takey here, you know? We, we don't want it to be ESPN first take or Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. Speak for yourself. I want to be super controversial here. <laughs> You're going to be Stephen A? I, I, yep, exactly. I'm actually going more for the Shannon Sharp, you know. <laughs> so we're going to kick a few things off here. I know we've both had some in-depth conversations before, but today we decided to get in front of the mic. So without further ado, let's kick it off. So my first question slash topic here for you, B-Town. Mm-hmm. Our offensive system, we've are, we are now in our third offensive coordinator. It was Daryl Bevel, mm-hmm. Brian Schottenheimer, right. and now we're on Shane Waldron. Right. You could say when Daryl Bevel first joined in the Pete Carroll system of run, 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 play action, deep ball, it worked really nicely with the defensive systems we ran, right? Mm-hmm. Legion of Boom, everyone knows we dominated Super Bowl. It was kind of our calling card for years. Yep. I would say really coming out of that Super Bowl with Denver is when you started to see offenses evolve. You started to see the Sean McVeighs, the Kyle Shanahan's. Things became a little bit different. It was kind of almost, I felt like, the changing of the guard of the Peyton Manning era slowly dwindling out. It doesn't seem, in my opinion, and this is where I'll look for your opinion, that the offense of the Seahawks ever has really evolved. This is our third offensive coordinator. We were told, hey, this is an ex-McVay disciple. It's going to come in. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in this new system, motion offense, yada, yada, yada. If I closed my eyes and picked two or three random plays of the last 10 years, last eight years, from each offensive coordinator, I don't honestly think it would look that drastically different. Yeah. My question to you then... Is that Pete Carroll's doing of just conservative, we all know he wants to run, no turnovers, or is Russell limited in his ability to do different schematics and plans of attack for the offense? We'll start there. All right, so my thoughts here. So you asked a couple of questions there. So I want to start off with the first one. So you mentioned after the Seahawks played the Broncos – Offense has started changing. I think that's the same time, as you mentioned, the McVeighs in the world, the uh, Kyle Shanahan's came, came into the league and, and implemented the college-style spread offense, spreading things out, which changed um, the NFL as a whole. The Hawks also changed at that point in time, but not into that spread offense before that Super Bowl or during that Super Bowl and, and before. They were a run first offense, mm-hmm. fullback lead. Um, after that, when Russell became, you know, the Pro Bowl that he is now, mm-hmm. Pro Bowl player that he is now, mm-hmm. instead of just relying on Russell to be a game manager, they opened up a bit more for him for um, a bit more down-the-field big plays, play action, 
bootleg, things like that. Um, and then over, over the past, you know, five years, whatever it's been since that, that uh, Super Bowl, the Seahawks have slowly gone away from the power running game they had back in that point in time. So they have changed, and I think I, I think honestly the issue with the team over the, that same period of time is that they don't know how to balance the fact that Russell Wilson is a big arm quarterback. Um, I, I honestly think in a Pete Carroll offense, he can't have a quarterback like Russell Wilson. He needs a game manager, and Russell Wilson's not a game manager. And they have all these offensive weapons, the DKs, the Tyler Lockett's, um, they have all these tight ends, you know, uh, Everett and so on and so forth that are not conducive to the kind of offense that Pete Carroll wants to run. So there's, there's, there's like a, a identity crisis within the team. They had big play weapons, mm-hmm. but Pete Carroll wants to run the ball. So you, th- this is one of the other things I was going to bring up. It's maybe a little bit of a segue. <clears throat> Do you feel, I mean, Pete Carroll's system, right, for all – the time being, even going back to USC, is competition, competition, best player plays, doesn't matter where you come from, where mm-hmm. you're drafted, competition is where things come from. Right. The challenge is, especially in the NFL, if you don't hit on those draft picks or those free agent signings, mm-hmm. you're essentially having recruiting classes you can think of yeah. that are coming in and not able to perform. So... As you mentioned, the Tyler Lockett's, the DK Metcalf's, some of these different players. Yeah. We drafted two running backs, like one in the first round in Penny, one in the beginning of the second in Christine Michael, if you think back. Oh, that wow, way. yeah. Do you think that the, the personnel that Schneider had been looking for really fit a true run-first type team? Because you could argue, yes, DK's – probably ability to block is pretty high up there, his mm-hmm. size and strength. But he is a deep threat. He is a big playmaker. And if you're a team that wants to pound the rock, wants to be ball control, not turn it over, mm-hmm. you almost kind of wonder if this is, if the marriage there is working. You know, so honestly, there, there is a bit of an identity crisis um, with the way they, they put, they structure the team and the way that Pete wants to, his offense to operate. My issue is not necessarily with the running backs or the receivers that, that they draft because you have to have high skill positions, right? right. You know, if they want to play play action on the ball and then over the top for for the big play, they have the right players at Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Their issue is that they never want to invest in the in the offensive line. They never want to spend money there. And if you're going to be a pass, I mean, I'm sorry, run first offense, you have to have a good line that's going to be conducive to mm-hmm. running the ball. If you don't have that. Not only can you not run the ball, then you're going to have your quarterback getting the crap, you know, beat out of him every single so snap. So let's put you in the shoes of the GM then for a minute. Sure. Because I, I don't think it's fair to say they've completely neglected it, the attempts to replace or produce a strong, doesn't have to be top tier, but a sure. strong performing offensive line. Mm-hmm. There have been some major whiffs. Absolutely. In the draft. I yeah. mean, Fetty was one that, even at the time of the pick, mm-hmm. you, if you look back at some of the draft conversations of like the Mel Kuypers and some of yeah. those just typical scouts, right? We're just like kind of curious why we went so high on that. Yep. It seemed like he was maybe a second, third round guy. Right. What is, what would you be doing? Cause there's no one hits it hundred percent of the time, right? Yeah. You're an amazing 
amazing GM if you hit 40 to 50% of your picks. So what would you do if you took a bunch of picks or you brought in free agents ex- anticipating them to be that future starter for the next five, seven years, but it doesn't work out? Where do you turn to? What do you do then at that point? I mean, so the way they've been doing it over the past couple of years is um, they would you know draft a few guys and then they would supplement with in the free agency with a bunch of low-tier or mid-tier you know, free agent linemen. But they've always been old. They've always been banged up. They've always had injury history. Mm-hmm. Um, the only guy that they drafted I can think of that was a, a big-time hit was the kid now they have, Lewis. From LSU. Uh, yeah, he's the only lineman that they've drafted that's been anything, you know, competent. And even they drafted, he's a full-time road grader. He's not a pass True, hundred percent agree. But but, but if they want to, if they want to have a run first offense, that's the kind of player you want to bring in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they traded for Dwayne Brown. Um, they've had a, a couple of good uh, free agent signings when they brought back. Um, uh, I want to say incognito. What's the, what's the uh, the guy who went to Tampa came back? Then now he went to Arizona. Um, what's his name? Anyways, they've had a couple of of, of decent signings. But going back to the you know, like the, the, the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s, the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys of, you know, mid-2000s, mid yeah, yeah, 2010s. 2010s yeah. If you invest in your line, mm-hmm. it benefits your offense as a whole. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't have to have a, a bunch of superstars to have be, be progressive about, you know, how you're moving the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think they, they invest enough, whether it be in draft capital, whether it be in doing their due diligence on the players in the draft, on the line, I don't know what the case is, but that's in my opinion. And I honestly don't believe the offenses. I've been saying this for years. I don't believe the offense is the root cause of this. Uh, why the Seahawks are bad right now? Um, there's definitely some holes there. I think again, there's a philosophy issue. There's an offensive line issue, but as a whole, I don't think the offense is actually the the root cause of of the, the issues so for let's, the Seahawks. Follow that then. You say the offense necessarily isn't that focus point for the beginning of what seems to be a downfall, right? I'm not ready to say it's a complete teardown. It's leaning that way. But what is it then that you would point to as the primary reason for the beginning of this kind of demise? Yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, the, the Seahawks team is a run first team. That's where they, that's where their, their identity is. But they also are also the identity was, you know, that best in class defense from the uh, Legion of Boom era. Um, you, you control the, the clock by running the ball and good defense, and that's how they win their games. Um, obviously, this year they had a lot, a lot of running back injuries, uh, which derailed uh, really the entire offense. But their defense has been bad for two, two and a half years. Um, their defensive line is awful. They lost Jaron Reed. They brought in Alden Smith, but he ended up not even playing for them. Some of their draft picks on the defensive line have not paid out. I think some of their biggest whiffs in the draft over the past 10 years or so has been on the D-line. Yeah. Um, was Jaron Reed one of their picks? Jaron Reed. Or was he just LG the... LJ Collier. Or LJ Collier. Rasheem Green. We had what? Alton Robinson. Darrell Taylor. Darrell Taylor. Which he's actually... He's actually looking... He's actually pr- looking pretty solid. Yeah. And obviously Jaron Reed was a, was a good player. But for uh, Malik uh, McDowell... Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they've had a ton of misses on the D-line. Which um, has always been, 
as much as the Legion of Boom was the focus point back then, they always had depth at D-line. Yeah, I, I, in my opinion, without the D-line that they had, they could have never been as the, the, the Legion of Boone could not have, couldn't, couldn't have been as good as they were without that defensive right. line with Edgar, uh, with Bennett, with um, uh, who was uh, the other D end? We had <coughs> Michael Bennett, Michael Bennett, and then uh, Chris Clemens. Chris Clemens is a backup, right? We, we had, had uh, Big uh, Boy Red Bryant in the middle. Bryant. Uh, the other D end. Brandon Meebane. Meebane was there, yeah, of course. Uh, guy that came from the Lions. Yeah, the Lions, exactly. I, I'm blanking on him. He's now the host on Fox. Cliff Averill. Cliff Averill, there we go. I mean, they had a great D-line with great ta- uh, great depth as well. They had also... They had some, the guy we got from... Um, he was the main kind of guy coming forward speaking out against Russell in that article a couple years ago. I'm not sure. Um, he came from the Saints, I think it was. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. But. But but either way, my 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 point being is that that they're deep uh, because they don't have a defensive line, um, especially this year. I knew they were going to be bad. On top of that, they let their best um, cornerback go and didn't replace him with anybody. No draft picks, you know, not no clear, um, you know, way of of replacing their best cornerback. And really, in my opinion, I thought that their best secondary player in Shaq Griffin. I know people weren't high on Shaq. Obviously. What's his face? The guy, uh, our safety, we traded two draft picks for. Jamal Adams, Jamal yeah, Adams yeah. hasn't worked out. Yeah. Uh, Quandre Diggs is really good. He was pre- Pro Bowl this year. For what we had to get for him. Yeah, but totally I, I still think yeah. Shaq Griffin was our best defensive player sec- in the secondary uh, over the past couple of years, and we didn't replace him with anything. Um, so between that and the defensive line. Um, Would you be surprised if I told you that the Seahawks were top eight in defense right now? I would be blown away if that's the case. They are top eight in defense right now. Eight, they give up 20.5 points per game. In yardage, they <laughs> probably give up a ton more. That's their, always been their issue, right? Yeah, they, 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 they bend but don't break. They bend not break yeah. defense. But in terms of points per game, the leading team tied, I should say teams, the Denver Broncos, the New England Patriots. I don't think we're surprised to see the Patriots yeah. are there. Buffalo Bills, same thing. New Orleans Saints, they've seemed to be really stingy defense this last couple seasons. Kansas City, the Arizona Cardinals, Dallas, who seems to have just come out of, you know, not necessarily left field because people saw the investments and the draft picks. Good draft picks. Good draft picks. But then it's the Seahawks. Yeah. They're actually tied with Dallas and .1 points behind Kansas City and Arizona and .2 points behind the Saints. So essentially all of those teams give up 20 points a game on average. Yeah. Seattle Seahawks. Out of all those defenses, do any stand out besides the Patriots as being just top of the line defenses? The I only- think the Bills have made a significant investment in their defense. They have. And that last year they were lights out. Mm-hmm. Their but draft picks they've hit. My, my point being though, is that those numbers are slightly deceiving because those are not naming and again, maybe I don't really think we have any top tier defenses in the league this year, period. Anyways, but I don't know if if though if those numbers really jump out to say, hey, the Seahawks are actually a pretty good defense. Because if, if if you're watching the game, the Seahawks defense does not pass the eye test. The biggest the biggest difference between all of them is the amount of yards they give up a game. Yeah. Which, and this is kind of one of those catch twenty twos, right? Yes, you're not giving up points, but if you're constantly giving up yardage, that means the other team is on the field. 
Yep. They're taking away that time, which is keeping Russell and the offense off. Exactly. So it's actually deterring from your own offensive opportunity. And then by the end of the game, your defense is gassed, and they give up points to a crappy Chicago offense that shouldn't be scoring against anyone. Nick Foles. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, let's see, in yardage, let's take a look at this. They're second to last. What are they? Just, what are they ranked in turnovers and sacks? Turnovers and sacks. Let's take a look. My my first guest here, uh, turnovers would probably be middle of the road, but sacks would be very very low, bottom of the league. So in terms of turnovers, we are Seahawks are actually top. If you're looking at differential, mm-hmm. yeah, differential. Actually, no, no, no. I don't want to hear about differential. I just want turnovers. So they're top ten in differential. Okay. They give up fumbles and interceptions. Let's see what they take away or giveaways are. The only reason I say I don't care about differential because traditionally speaking, the Seahawks offense is not a high turnover team. So that differential may be a bit misleading. So they've had 11 turnovers themselves, six interceptions, five fumbles lost. Mm -hmm. They themselves have had eight interceptions as a defense and six fumbles recovered. Okay. And, and the reason I say that back in our heyday, we were a high turnover, um, you know, defense where we had a lot of picks. Sherman, you know, 10 picks one year, um, you know, Earl Thomas, a bunch of picks and then a lot of strip sack fumbles back mm-hmm. in those. You know, so those numbers there, I think, are a bit misleading as well, because, yes, we have a pretty good differential, but Russell doesn't give the ball away very often. We don't fumble the ball. You know, traditionally a Pete, a Pete Carroll offense does not give the ball away. So our our, our turnover differential is always going to be pretty good. One thing you could look at, and it seems like a lot of analysts tend to look at this, is to evaluate their offensive production is their third down efficiencies. And not just third down conversions and, you know, percentages, but almost looking at sacks as turnovers, right? It's a big play. It's, you know, third and five, third and seven, whatever. You need to get that first. You need to move the chains. And you take a sack instead. I believe, and I don't think it's any shock, we probably have heard this a million times over the air, just talking with other fans and people, seems like Russell is the longest holding of the ball quarterback that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Five, seven if the play, if he's able to roll out even and try to extend a broken play, nine seconds. Sure. Where it seems he's overlooking maybe either underneath routes or checkdowns, it almost seems like teams now are baiting him because they know he wants to throw the deep ball, right? You've seen the the early breakdown this year of like, hey, they're just playing cover two now and he can't hit that deep ball because there's always keeping the two safeties back, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that is case slash making a big impact and taking those sacks I think it's a I think it's a twofold process um, I think that again like I mentioned earlier the the offense is predicated on run the ball with some play action deep deep uh, you know over the top throws that take more time to develop but I also think one of the greatest strengths of Russell is his ability to uh, improvise so when things mm-hmm. break down um, you know they they run those they run those those drills that allow um, the receivers to get open, which again takes more time, which jacks up his his um his time where he's you know holding onto the ball. So, um, it's one of those. If you love Russell's uh, ability to improvise, then you have to take you know the good with the bad, uh, holding onto the ball and perhaps taking uh, a few more sacks than the normal quarterback. Do you think? And this is 
I feel ridiculous even bringing it up because it's been the from the moment he was drafted or scouted coming into the league. Do you feel in some way that the height not has caught up to him? Because I don't. Th- I think he's been able to manage that and be effective, and obviously Pro Bowl, Super Bowl quarterback. However, do you think it has limited his ability when defenses are scheming around him to clog up the middle, keep him out of those short crossing slants in the middle, and that he really has to rely on those mid to deep throws or the sideline throws? I I just don't, the reason I bring it up, mm-hmm. I don't feel, I love to turn to, and we don't have Devontae Adams on the Seahawks. Sure. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, fantastic receivers, but they're not Devontae Adams. I don't recall ever having that just two two step three step cut right across the middle. Russell's got the ball out of his hands. Yeah, rarely ever do we see that. Yeah, I, I think that's more of a design of the of the offense and not and you know obviously it could be a design because he has an inability to make those throws. I mean that's, that's how offenses are built, right? Exactly. But I'll take it back to you. Remember when we had um, the, the the tight end from Oakland? What was his name? Zach Miller. Yep. When we had Zach Miller, we had more of that. Between the hashes, tight ends, you know, you know, uh, five to ten mm-hmm. yard routes, pop, also mm-hmm. hit him right on strike. When we had a good tight end that could uh, accomplish that goal, mm-hmm. when we had an offense built around it, he could he could accomplish it all all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the reason that they don't do that anymore is because he can't make those throws because of his height. I think it's just not designed into the offense because again they want to go over the top. Right now, whenever they throw short, it's usually on a bootleg. It's usually on some kind of a crossing route, mm-hmm. uh, but you, it, I, I, in my opinion, even though they brought in Everett uh, and and Walden really wanted to make an effort to bring the tight ends more into the into the the, you know, the play calling, I still don't think that they're using their tight ends to the best of their ability. In my opinion, mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean, the thing to think about though, if you <clears throat> if we're just speaking to Waldron specifically, even that Rams offense. You'll have that. I mean, we're fantasy players, right? Mm-hmm. You'll have those occasionally in the last couple of years, the Higby game, yeah. the Gerald Everett game. But for the most part, it's the receiver's core, right? It's yeah. the Cooper Cup, the Robert Woods. It was Brandon Cooks for a little bit. Now Odell's there. And, of course, they're running backs. So I get it, but I don't – I never even when they brought in Everett was like, oh, we're going to go back to the Jimmy Graham days of, you know, 10 targets to our tight ends. Right. And I just never felt that was in the cards coming from there. I do want to change it just a little bit here for a second because I don't want to be the the local radio station that just is Russell cooked. Is this broken? Blah, blah, blah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's look at for some optimism here and maybe it's imagination fantasy land. If you could add one offensive player mm-hmm. in the entire league, right? Let's, let's maybe forego the quarterbacks, right? Like okay. we're not adding Patrick Mahomes in this story. But it could be an offensive lineman, could mm-hmm. be a tight end, could be a receiver, running back. If you could add one player that you feel, it won't maybe say, oh, overnight we're the Kansas City Chiefs now or the best offense in football. Right. But like, okay, this player is what the Seahawks need and gives them a significantly better chance to win. And that's a great question. I I um Nothing is jumping off the top of my head at the moment just because, again, I don't believe the offense is the root concern for this offense. Um, but if we were to bring in a player, I wouldn't say it's a receiver. I mean, I think we have a good receiving core. Mm-hmm. Um, 
our line is, you know, it's average. Um, I don't know if bringing in one player on the offensive line is going to make um, the impact that they need to go to a top-tier offense. Um, usually when offenses get good, it's because they bring in a, a, a collective of good young players to kind of gel together. So in my opinion, I think if we brought in a running back, and there's nothing nothing wrong with Chris Carson, but one of Chris Carson's biggest issues is he can't stay healthy. And then we need someone consistent um, to who's stay that, healthy. Who's that guy that fits the system the best, right? In the fantasy world, man, I can't. I mean, even guys like Dalvin Cook, which are you know one of the best running backs in the league, he's mm-hmm. he's obviously he's, he's obviously hurt himself quite a bit. Um, Christian McCaffrey's, the Saquon Barkley's, they're, they're all hurt. Even even Zeke, who's mm-hmm. been you know fairly healthy his whole career, and even this year he's been banged up most of the year. I mean, I, I would guess it would be easy to say this is just thinking out loud mm-hmm. that Pete Carroll drools over, albeit wet dreams over. Mm-hmm. Someone like Derrick Henry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although someone that's just like, uh, I'm not turning the ball over. Yeah, I'm just gonna f- one cut, force it down. You're, you're a hundred. Yeah, yes, you're a hundred percent right. Derrick Henry is a Pete Carroll type of, type of runner, mm-hmm. an old school grinder. Like you said, one foot in the ground, hit that hole hard, mm-hmm. just don't turn back. Obviously, at this point in time, I wouldn't want Derrick Henry at his age, all the miles he has on those legs. But yes, that kind of a player. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who's young. Um, that's that that type of back. But we all know that once Nick Chubb, was someone we could have drafted instead yeah, of Sean yeah, Penny. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, tough subject there. <laughs> Even though Penny's kind of turned around the past couple of weeks, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's what the Seahawks need is that kind of a you know a consistent, um, not so a have, slasher, but pounder. For you. Yeah, and I think it's I think once you hear it, you'll probably likely agree. However, before giving it away, I would say I get what you're saying, right? Offensive line is typically built off of cohesion, years of playing together. Right. It's really hard to just throw a dream team of signed draft picks and, you know, couple couple trades or something. It's it's right. it's difficult to do. Like Dallas is like we talked about earlier, pretty much every single one of those was someone they drafted and they just built up over time to yep. be just the Goliaths of an offensive line. That being said, if I'm not adding you know, the cream of the top, uh, you know, Taron Armstead, uh, you know, from the Saints or one of those kind of players. I think the easiest answer goes back to how you articulated on Zach Miller earlier. And the 2.0 richest version of that, in my opinion, is George Kittle. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great point. Um, He's in our division. Yeah. You know, Travis Kelsey's fantastic. You could argue who's the best tight end in the league. Obviously, fantasy people mm-hmm. just know Kelsey because yeah. he's a touchdown machine. He's basically a wide receiver, you know, just in the middle in the right. slot. However, the, the offensive blocking yeah. that Kittle provides, I mean, you've heard it on any TV broadcast mm-hmm. or analyst. They're like, it's almost like having another offensive lineman out there, right? The days, he's not, he's never reached the elite receiving status of being a Gronk, mm-hmm. but he's in that vein. Yeah, right? absolutely. He's a multifaceted tight end. He can make huge plays. We've seen it as Seahawks fans. You've mm-hmm. got him in third and 11. You're looking for them to get off the field, and then Kittle breaks a 20-something yard run. He's yeah. stiff-arming someone down the sideline. And to piggyback off that, I mean, that's exactly what Zach Miller was. He was that player who was um, a great receiver, 
great receiver, but yet maybe a better run blocker. Totally. Uh, a pass blocker or yeah. run blocker, yeah. So I 100% agree. That would actually be, again, pie in the sky, but I think that would be a great addition to this offense if this offense was um, dedicated to giving that player the amount of attention they, that they deserve in the offense, which is another concern here in this offense, right, because we do have uh, DK, we have Tyler, we have Car- uh, Carson went healthy. Um, there's this. There's a, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, um, you know, a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's flip that. I, I kind of liked that scenario role play. Let's flip it to the other side of the ball. Defense. Mm-hmm. We remember the Legion of Boom. Like we said earlier, we had that defensive depth at D line. Yeah. Our linebackers were always great mm-hmm. between Bobby and KJ. Still are pretty and good. And we had, you know, different players at the other outside position, but fantastic team all around back in the day. We've still got an aging Bobby defensive line, like we said earlier, been a ton of misses, a couple mm-hmm. of nice young players. The back end, the corners have been horrific, absolutely horrific. Um, Safeties have been good. We can well, one of my segments I want us to talk about in a little bit is Jamal Adams. However, if there's one player that you could add, mm-hmm. same case scenario, to the Seattle Seahawks defense that would make a human tremendous impact, if not put us to the top of the league, who would that be? So, going back to what we were saying earlier, I think that honestly, a defensive line can cover a lot of holes in your defense. Mm-hmm. If you have an average secondary. That secondary can be great if you have a great defensive line adding pressure. Let's uh, pretend to. We said we couldn't take Mahomes in the last segment. Mm-hmm. You can't take Aaron Donald in this segment. Okay. Okay. So that, that's, <laughs> that was, you know, I was going for yeah. a, a big time. I immediately was thinking myself, I'm yeah. like, it's going to be Aaron Donald. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So if you can't go Aaron Donald, and again, I'm just, I'm just thinking out, out loud here, right? Um, great defensive ends in the league right now. Name, name a few. Um, defensive ends? I mean, let's see had the leading sack leaders right now are what from the Dallas Cowboys uh, DeMarcus well, Mike, Lawrence Micah Parsons he's kind of a hybrid yeah outline, outside linebacker yeah defensive end not really fitting in the in the, in the Seahawks always scheme. had Cameron Jordan mm-hmm. if you consider TJ Watt but they play a different kind of system he's yeah. often standing almost in like a 3-4 rushing mentality but yeah. he's always a leading sack getter Nick Bosa Nick and both the Bosa brothers. Both the, yeah, yeah. the Bosa brothers. That's where actually I would probably go. The Bosa from San Diego. Joey. Joey Bosa. Um, Caveat being there that just always seems to be hurt. That's that's the issue, yeah. Um, but that's the kind of player I think that we need, a dominant defensive end. Because, again, if you have one dominant defensive player, that's going to spread, take the pressure off of the rest of the line, which I think we actually have a decent, uh, decent depth, mm-hmm. but we don't have any – superstars right i think we have no people that are just digging in on third down exactly um i think actually our our, our d tackles are, are decent i think um taylor has a bright future if you yeah, pair him he's played well if you pair him with a superstar like uh, bosa um that immediately makes our secondary better we already have good linebackers i think that would go a long way what one that's disappointing to see and this is crazy we forgot to mention miles garrett by the way in terms of defense yeah that's that's a travesty there the one that's rough, though, is Robert Quinn. Only half a sack behind the league leader, which is T.J. Watt, as mentioned. Mm-hmm. The disappointment here, though, is Robert Quinn was there for anybody. Yeah, He's obviously an aging vet. People weren't, you know, 
jump in to go sign him for multiple million dollars a year. But Chicago got him next to nothing. Just yeah. pick him up, bring him in as a veteran, and now he's got 17 sacks on the season. And, and instead, we went for Alden Smith, who got <laughs> done beating somebody up and is now out of the league and probably, yeah. you know, yeah. So, yeah, 100% agree. Um, what I would say, though, and this is – I'm by no means the inventor of this. I've heard this many times other people say. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, people or personnel – organizations look at sacks sometimes and this isn't always the case the the premier guys we're talking about is different but oftentimes as a team sacks can almost be looked at as a coverage stat sure and interceptions on the flip side are almost a defensive line pressure stat yeah because the quarterback's feeling all that pressure they know they got to get the ball out Mm -hmm. make a dumb play read it incorrectly on the flip side quarterback drops back no one open for this because the secondary is doing such a great job in coverage yep end up with the sack I think what's interesting, though, <clears throat> this is a little bit tied to what we were talking about earlier with Jamal Adams. To me, I feel corner has become the premier position in the defenses today. Agreed. I think I agree. Defensive ends, defensive tackles, pressure up the middle, pressure on third down. Those will always be the front horses. They're going to mm-hmm. get the big money, everything like that. But I also feel, I always look back to the, the successes, right? The Bill Belichick, the obviously in many regard is the greatest coach, but he's also kind of the GM for the team as well. He picks his players, what sure. he's looking for. Rarely ever have they doubled down on any sort of defensive frontline person. Mm-hmm. He, for years, has weighed heavily on the secondary. Sure. You, you had... Um, the McCordy brothers, you know, the safety now has been there for years. They had Stephon Gilmore there yep. for a number of years, just they, recently they left. brought in uh, the kid from the Jets. Darrell um, Revis. Darrell Revis, they Revis had, um, Obviously, when he was actually still good, they had Brandon Browner that they brought from the Seahawks. Very, very short period of time, which actually um, won, the, won them the uh, Super Bowl versus yeah. us. Yeah. They brought in Aqib Tlaib. Yeah. They've always emphasized secondary. In this modern generation, right? I'm not yeah. talking about the... Willie McGinnis, Teddy Bruschi. Sure, era. sure. I'm talking sure. about modern day Patriots yeah. defense. The last eight to ten years, we'll say. I, I feel like it's a secondary thing. I I would I would agree with you, but the only thing that there's a difference here between Pete and um, Bill Belichick because Pete gets more out of his secondary players, and I think I agree with Belichick that. because again he is a defensive back head coach or, yeah. or position coach by trade. Yeah. He gets a lot out of lesser talent because of his coaching. So because of that, and then on top of that, I don't think going out and getting a veteran secondary player is the best um, value for your money because typically secondary players fall off faster than defensive line players. So if if you're going to get the most out of your secondary players, it's best to draft them and coach them up and then get rid of them. So I hear you. Nine times out of ten, I'd probably agree with you. My door B, your door A being A Bosa. <laughs> you said San Diego Joey. We talked about his injury thing. So let's just say A Bosa. Joey or Watt. TJ Watt's fine. One of the defensive ends, yep. Or Miles Garrett. Miles I don't Garrett, want yep. to continue to forget on. My door B is someone like Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. The days of the Legion of Boom, right? Sherman being, if not the best at the time, Daryl Revis was right in there. Mm-hmm. I think it was pretty easy. They were the one-two, however you looked at it, or one-A, one-B. Sure. 
you didn't even have to worry about the side that they were on. Yeah. When the pre-play snap, wherever you saw that Sherman was lined up at mm-hmm. the time, you're like, okay, well, that's done. Yeah. So they're going to have to play over in this third or this half. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey is pretty similar in that regard. I would, I would, I would highly disagree. Tell me why. Jalen Ramsey, he is a, a, a bit more of a risk, uh, high risk reward player, right? He takes huge risks, and he he'll, he'll bring in some he'll bring in a lot of interceptions, but he also gives up a lot of big plays. I will say that Sherman was the opposite. He didn't take a lot of big risks, um, which is why he didn't have some of the interception numbers. But he was just sticking over the players. He's had great coverage, um, just because he's a you know he's a smart player. He he studied a lot of video. He just didn't give any of his uh, receivers any room to breathe, and that's why no one threw it through through to his side of the field. With Ramsey, what he likes to do is bait, bait the quarterbacks into throwing and then trying to take a risk to, to intercept the player. If, if I'm looking at it still right, pro football focus, it's up to date. Looks like it's up to date. Jalen Ramsey's second. Is that right? Yes. Jalen Ramsey currently is second in overall cornerback rating. First being A.J. Terrell of the Falcons. A couple names surprising, don't even register. But Jalen Ramsey, no surprise up there near top. I get what you're saying. He's maybe not the premier that Sherman slash Revis were for a while, but I do think... You have a top receiver coming into town. Jalen Ramsey's going to likely give them problems all day. Agreed. But I, I'll also say this. I don't even think Pete Carroll would want a Ramsey on his team. Because he doesn't sit in his spot. Because, well, not only that, but what does Pete Carroll always say? Don't keep up the big play. Mm-hmm. And because Ramsey takes high risk, high, you know, high reward, um, if he gets the pick, great. But if not, there's a good chance that that play he's given up is a big play, a big touchdown or something like that. that I don't think Pete Carroll wants that kind of a player on his team. So we've been talking about just came out of defense conversation, secondary I brought up. Jamal Adams. So the Seahawks gave up, I believe, two firsts, a third, and in return, and not to mention, I think we gave Bradley McDougal. In return, it was like a fourth rounder and might have been some player throwing. Mm-hmm. But essentially the bulk of it is we gave up two firsts and a third. To me... This goes back to two other trades that come to mind. Mm-hmm. We had Percy Harvin, which, again, I'm not going to fact check and give exactly significant draft ca- draft capital there. Jimmy Graham, right? significant draft capital there. They, those two, whatever, whatever the, the capital was, it was identical for those two trades. Exactly. Yeah. Percy Harvin did not become the player that he was in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. However... I can at least say we won a Super Bowl while he was here. Sure. He may have not been the focal point, but he was at least a part of that team. It maybe affected us down the road when we didn't have those draft picks, but yeah. at least we got a ring, okay? We made I, another one after. Just a quick little side note. I think actually that affected us more than just the draft picks because if you remember that, we didn't resign Golden Tate because of Percy Hart because they were oh, fairly yeah. similar. So yeah. not only was the draft picks, but we also there, lost Golden Tate. There was Kate. obviously now the documented beef that occurred in their fight. Percy Harvin slapped the shit out of him. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 
Jimmy Graham, I remember even at the time being very against it. I love Jimmy Graham. I'm a huge fan of the U, but it just never, to our earlier point on Zach Miller being like that ideal tight end fit, mm-hmm. he wasn't that. He's in a wide receiver in a 6'6 tight end body. Right. So I was always hesitant on that. But again, people are going to look up. They're going to see the stats. They're going to say, oh, he's so productive. I get it. But it just wasn't the ideal fit of what we needed. And that was a lot of draft capital there as well. Mm-hmm. All that being said, Jamal Adams' trade is still the worst. If you, you probably might even remember, maybe not. I know you don't check your group threads very often. But when it happened, I was very adamant in our fantasy league trade or text group Mm -hmm. just how bad of a trade it was yeah and the the truth be told i love jamal adams when he was at the jets i actually watched a decent amount probably thought he was one of the top safeties in the league but the game had changed it appeared and having two firsts and a third for essentially an in-the-box safety who can blitz plays really well against the run Average, I would say, at, at coverage. Sometimes maybe below average. Sure. But to me, that's what you need, right? We talked about the secondary earlier. That is going to set us back. We'll have a top 10 pick this year. If mm-hmm. we continue to lose the next week, we could end up being like a top 7, top 6, depending on the how it plays out, right? Sure. But at the very bar minimum, we'll probably have a top 10 draft pick. Didn't have our draft pick last year. Yep. Won't have that third round this year. To me, that's hard to come back from. That's a that's enough to get you fired in a lot of in a lot of a lot of places. Places, yeah. I cannot understand then how John Schneider. What's his leash? Is what I want to say. What's yeah. his leash? Because he's lived off of the team he put together that won us a Super Bowl, got mm-hmm. us to a second Super Bowl. What is his leash? Because there has been a ton of misses, regardless of the diamonds in the rough that he discovered. Mm-hmm. In that Sherman, Baldwin, Chancellor, Bobby, Russell era, right? No. Can't take that away from him. Man, that's a great question, and I and I don't honestly know if anyone outside of the organization really knows what his leash is. And the the reason I say that is when when this organization under Pete Carroll was first put together, it was Pete Carroll first, John John Snyder second, and it was always been it was always been known that. Pete Carroll has the final say. So really, if you're looking at the hierarchy, you have Pete Carroll at the top as a head coach. And you have a GM just sitting just below him, has the GM title, but... Well, I I'm, I'm, could be completely making this up. Someone can tell me this, but I believe even Pete was offered essentially the Bill Belichick mm-hmm. of like, you can be coach GM. Yeah. And he actually said no. I want this guy. Yes. Is that right? That's true. He did say that, um, but he's... Pete still has the final say. 100%. So if, if, if Pete came in and said, hey, I want Jamal Adams, you do what it takes to get him, is that then on John Snyder for that failure, or is that on Pete Carroll? You, you see what I'm saying I, here? I 100% see what you're saying. So it, it's not fair. And this goes back to not only – does, jo- does Pete Carroll get to say, I want Jamal Adams, go make it happen? Mm-hmm. And John Schneider is just like, all right, my job is by any means necessary. Or does he then have a responsibility to be like, Pete, I hear you. Yeah. But two firsts and a third. Yeah. 
is a friggin' train robbery. Yeah, absolutely. But if again, if if uh, Pete says I need this guy, and and John comes to him and says, "Hey, it's gonna take a first and a third. I can't talk him out any more, any more than that," then John has to pull the pull, pull the plug. Again, there still may be blowback on him, but I'm just saying I don't know if it's a hundred percent fair without more knowledge to be say, "Hey, John Snyder, you're you need to go," because uh, <clears throat> there may be more. And again, I don't want to point fingers here, but there may be more blame on Pete than on John. But it could be the opposite as well. I, I don't know the dynamic there. Regardless of who it was, and I totally hear what you're saying, and I, I can imagine that now in my head. I would say regardless of who it's Pete or John's idea to begin with. We should time together is what I'm saying. Yes. But having said all that, who in their right mind thought, hey, bringing in a safety mm-hmm. in today's game. Yeah is going to turn this defense around. And if you're giving up that much, Mm. it has to be a game-changing player. Yeah. And what we said earlier, we didn't even debate a safety. You brought up DNs and defensive Mm -hmm. line. I brought up corners. Yeah. So if you're not getting the game-changing player, to me that's just forever uh, unforgivable. Yeah. No, I I can't disagree with you. And I think that there was times over the past couple of – years where they had opportunities to make a big splash on a player that they didn't pull the trigger on. Remember a couple of years ago, it was Khalil Mack mm-hmm. going to Chicago. They gave up, Chicago gave up less for Khalil Mack than I believe this. Not Hawks much did. different though. Not much different. Yeah, I could but, look it up, but it was pretty similar. Maybe. But for, but Khalil Mack, even though he's a bit older now, he, mm-hmm. he was much more productive in his first couple of years than, than, um, yeah, the, um, uh, Jamal Adams has been for us. In a vacuum, I'd take Khalil Mack over Jamal Adams. In that same situation, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Um, so my, my point being is I 100% agree. I think um, if, again, if we have a an identity uh, of, of a, a run first, uh, play solid defense, each one of those th- trades that you mentioned do not fit into that, di- um, that identity, right? Percy Harvin... Um, especially Jimmy Graham, don't fit into our offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can debate Jamal Adams because he, even though we gave a lot, a lot for him, uh, the way I looked at it, they were looking for a Cam Chancellor replacement. <clears throat> and that's a lot to give up for Cam Chancellor. I was going to say, to me, Cam Chancellor wouldn't be the same role that he was in the Legion of Boom era. He uh, could literally sit in the box as a, glorified linebacker mm-hmm. and then he would cover tight ends which is kind of what jamal's been well at least early on what he was tasked with he's yes. been he's been now more you know cover tunes and playing a bit higher before he got hurt mm-hmm. but early on that's when what he was at, being when tasked he's at his best he's coming off the edge mm-hmm. he's kind of in the box he's like a free roaming safety yeah essentially the problem is, is if you have to drop him back or the defense knows he's dropping back mm-hmm. to me it seems like a liability i, I won't Again, get hot taking and be like, he's awful, atrocious, and anything like that. I always look at it from a fan or myself's reaction watching a game. Back in the day, if a ball went up in the air, Mm -hmm. I knew Earl Thomas was there. I was like, the ball's, this is not happening. With Jamal Adams, if I see he's the one dropping back and there's a ball in the air, I'm like already throwing the remote against the ball. I'm just yeah. like, oh, there's a 30-yard gain. Something like that. I just don't see how you anyone could justify the third or the the third two first for a safety in the box. 
I, I don't disagree, right? But I, I think if you if you get past that point where the draft picks are already gone mm-hmm. and, and try to figure out how to get the most out of the player, and this goes back to a point that you know I've been screaming at the top of my lungs for the past four seasons, it feels like. Um, our defense... We don't have the great. We don't have the greatest, uh, co- you know, personnel. collective of personnel. Yes, but we also have a awful defensive coordinator. You read my mind. This yes. is the next topic. Because I don't believe Jamal Adams is being put in a position to showcase his talents the way he needs to. Um, we looked at the. So this is the perfect segue because this was one of the listed things I had written down to talk about. So similar to how we started the show with the offensive coordinator history. In Pete Carroll's era, we started with Gus Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We then promoted, at the time, D-line coach Dan Quinn. Great coach. Great, great DN, uh, defensive coordinator. And the reason is because Gus Bradley then went and got a head coaching job. Miami, right? I think it was Jacksonville. Yeah, Jacksonville. Okay. Obviously, it didn't work out. Yeah. But needless to say, he got the head coaching gig of the premier defense we had. Right. Dan Quinn was promoted D-line coach. He also then went and got a head coaching job for Atlanta for what the last 4 or 5 years or something like that. Yeah, Dan Quinn was 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 the Falcons and then and then we had Chris Richard was the DB coach for what? A couple seasons? Uh yes, he was. Something like that? Yeah. And he was the D coordinator for literally half a season. No, it was longer than that. Was it a full yeah, season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only once. It wasn't much more than a season. I almost feel like it was two. Is this a fact check? I might have. We to can, fact we check can, this. we can fact check. I, I, I'll say this because yeah, Chris Richard was before. So Ken Norton. So after Gus Bradley, Bradley, Chris Richard came in. No, nope. Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn. I'm sorry. After Dan Quinn, you're right. Yes. After Dan Quinn, Chris Richard came in. Um, at the same time, they 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 promoted uh, Richard over Ken Norton. Ken Norton then went to be the defensive coordinator of the Oakland Raiders. And he only lasted, Richard only lasted for a season, maybe two. to 2017. Okay, two seasons. After they fired him, they brought back Ken Norton after he was fired Mm -hmm. from Oakland. Mm -hmm. Which was also a terrible defense. Exactly. With probably better personnel. Uh, Ken, Ken, unfortunately, well, I don't know, maybe that's not the right word choice, is one of Pete's inner circle guys. Always has been. Yep. Always has been, but it speaks it speaks volumes. If you passed over him the first time, why bring him back? I, I don't know. I think there's a couple. He's a USC guy, right? Yeah. So Pete's yeah. always had an affinity there. He is the exact. He's like the mold of the personality that Pete Carroll wants in that locker room. Is his yin to his yang? Exactly. Yeah. He's the tough nosed, high energy guy. Get in your ass. Exactly. Yep. What I think, though, and I've said we've talked about this before, so this is nothing new for our conversation, but for the sake of the audience, he is the maybe one of the top premier position coaches as a linebackers coach when he was running Bobby and KJ Mm -hmm. and and everyone else that we rotated through in our heyday. Exactly. Yeah, he was the guy, and he has been the guy. I feel, and again, I've never called a freaking play. Yeah, (laughs) I've not been a football coach. It doesn't seem like he has the X's and O's tactician in him yep. to make a good call on third and four in the red zone, right? Has, he hasn't done it one time we, <laughs> since he's been D coordinator. It was shocking earlier when we looked at the stats, right? Yeah. That they're that highly regarded. Mm-hmm. 
but the yardage was one thing that was misleading. They were second worst in yardage given up. Yeah. So there's a number of things that were just like, why? Are, what are we doing here? Why are we running it? To tie into that, I honestly don't think we've talked about like the D lines maybe not as good. Our corners are pretty insufferable. Overall, though, like compared to other defenses in the league, I yeah. don't feel like our talent is significantly lower than anything. I would agree. Like, I, I just don't think we get the most out of our talent. Exactly. Yes. How he has continued to maintain his job, to me, it would have been the easiest fire like a season ago, I'd, two seasons ago. I'd say three or four, but yeah. I mean, he's been here, what, Seattle Seahawks, defensive coordinator. It's been four or five years now. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I think that's been the first thing we pointed at. You even said earlier the offense wasn't the focal point and that it was the defense, and he is the guy at the center of it. And I don't think Pete – something's going on there where he's some, just – Some crazy loyalty. Relationship, yeah. something there. But you look at some of these other teams around the league and the creativity they have, the, you know, the Arizona Cardinals, I still harp on – when they took the Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons pick, if mm-hmm. you recall, and he was this like freak of nature combine at Clemson that played every position there. And I remember thinking, one, he was like my favorite player in that draft, but second, I'm like, I know Seattle would never take this guy. Yeah. And to me, that's a problem because it tells you that they're not, it's not that they're stuck in their old ways necessarily, but they're, they don't, they never seem to be on that front edge of innovation and creativity with their play calling, their scheme. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I was going to say, I, 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 I'd say you're wrong there. Um, because again, in the same vein, we took DK Metcalf when everyone else was passing over him because he had those freaky abilities, right? Um, yes, but... We took, we took Russell Wilson when everyone overlooked him because he was short, because he had other intangibles. I think Russell, I'll give you. DK, I would push back on, but go ahead. Yeah. I, I, again, remember DK, everyone was passing over him. We end up, they loved, they loved him from the get-go, um, and they seen that he was falling. They're like, you know what? We're going to get in because this guy's a freak athlete. We're going we're gonna to take him. But there was, there was a lot of pundits that were, obviously he had dropped, but there was a lot that were like, this guy should be going in the first round. Yeah, he didn't have production because he got hurt and all that stuff. It's well documented. Sure, but the thing that they that I knew Seattle fell in love with was his size and athleticism. Yeah, we've never had that guy. I I just think that with the Hawks, it has to do do more than just athleticism. Um, again, this this again, this is the whole Pete Carroll mantra. Mm-hmm. But he has to have guys that love football. You how many how many times have there been freaky athletes? that are just athletes, but they don't really love the game and they end up, they're, they're a flash in the pan and they're out of the league within three to four years. Um, I can name, well, I couldn't name, but I, I can, I can name the times on all of my fingers and all my toes. Uh, a, a high draft pick has come through who has freaky athleticism. He doesn't do anything because he doesn't love the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the kind of guys. Across that, all sports. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I don't have an issue with with their how they, how they how they draft in terms of um, you know their whatever whatever you know they're using to draft players. Um, I just have a, an issue with them bringing in the right players to fit their system. So I, I hear you. the uh, the The draft pick comment or the talent comment was more pointing to the idea of the vanilla flavor of defense of defense sure. that we have played. 
for years now. Mm -hmm. And when you have that exact personnel like we've had in the past, mm -hmm. great. Yeah. But when you don't and your corners just get cooked left and right, play after play, your defense can't stop a nosebleed in the run game. And, you know, like I said, I'll continue to say, it surprised me that we give up such few defense two points mm -hmm. but the yardage is there which as we accumulated earlier then comes back to offense not being on the field sure so that's that was more the point but i hear you there ken norton i think we both agree again trying to avoid the takiness to me would be the person to be looking at fired i'd even given i'd even give john and pete and russell i'd even be willing to give them one more go around next year sure. see if everyone gets healthy gets things right See if there's anything we can do in the offseason. We have quite a bit of cap next year. Yeah. We have some draft picks. Obviously, as I said earlier, we don't have a first anymore or a third. But Ken Norton would be that guy I'd be letting go. If he's not let go, I, I've been saying this for the past three years. If he's not let, let, let go this year, then this, if things don't turn around, not only does Ken have to go, but then Pete has to go. Because he's obviously, his blind loyalty is, is hurting the, the foundation of his team because his defense were, are always the foundation of his team. If he can't break that loyalty to better his team because he has his BFF sitting there next to him, <laughs> he's got to go. Remember, I still remember, I, I think I texted you almost within the hour mm -hmm. of the news breaking that Dan Quinn was fired in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, drop everything, <laughs> get rid of Ken Norton, yes. and bring Dan Quinn back. Yes. Well, he went to Dallas instead. Yeah. Look we at just that defense. About that defense now, and yep. I just read this morning he's getting head coaching interviews now. So yep. it's just frustrating that they just continue to sit on this guy. But it's not, and it's not not only then, right? They've had opportunities. Um, Dan Quinn, obviously, last year. Um, Gus uh, Gus Bradley again after he was fired. Chris Ward was Miami. I don't remember where he was coaching. It was Jacksonville? It was Jacksonville? Mm -hmm. um, after he was fired, they could have brought him in as, as well. And fired Ken Norton, but they didn't yeah. do it. And I think he went to what the Chargers. Yeah, yeah, and w which you know, obviously they have all that talent, and they're, and they're playing pretty pretty well right now. Um, now he's actually he was at the Chargers. Now he's at the Raiders. The Raiders, okay. So well, he was the head coach of Jacksonville, took a year off, then became the Chargers DC up until 2020, and right. now has been the Raiders. Yeah, he was the which he was even the they've been solid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For the talent they have, yeah, they've been a solid defense. Their issues is on the offense end, mm -hmm. and the fact that their head coach was fired for <laughs> some uh, some uh, another podcast. Yeah, exactly, Later another podcast. subject. Um, but yeah, I know I hundred percent agree. I think um, you know Ken Norton has tried to do uh, some different things because they didn't have the talent to stay vanilla. They they tried doing more blitzes and things like that, which didn't work out because I feel like his play calling was so bad that they that whenever a blitz was coming the offense always knew it and they were able to get around it. And again, I just think that there was some serious X and O's issues or, or uh, you know, fundamental issues with him, as you stated earlier. Um, and he has a serious lack of creativity with his, uh, with his scheme. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to get one more topic in to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. We couldn't avoid it. Seattle Seahawks fans. The number one conversation of any Seahawks fan right now is Russell Wilson. Sure. What's going on? What's been going on with him? You know, has has he lost his touch? Has he lost the locker room? All these kind of local sports radio bits, right? I, I I'll start in a different perspective of it first. He says all the right things, right? He 
it's kind of known for his cheesy interviews, all of his, you know, kind of, oh, competition, you know, we're here, go Hawks. Like, mm-hmm. He's just known for his, like, boring vanilla speeches. Mr. Robot. Exactly. Yeah. Robot cheerleader guy. However, it does seem, and I'll, I'll give my boy Amon a shout out for this because he's brought this up to me. It does seem like his actions completely go against that. And what I mean by that is he's ta- he even called out this last offseason, his offensive line, giving mm. up sacks. Yeah. Team not, the personnel isn't right. He's not happy with it. He wanted out. But yet he goes and takes this gigantic baseball contract yeah. from his agent. Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite of what the Tom Brady was trying to do back sure. in New England, right? Sure. I'm going to try to take a little pay cut, which is easier said than done, right? We're sitting here not in the same position. Right. You're, you're talking about a deduction of millions of dollars. So it's I'm not trying to pretend it's some easy decision to make. Sure. But it does seem when the team starts to completely revolve around your salary, your style of play, mm-hmm. yet the locker room doesn't even really seem to buy into him, not from a ability perspective. I think they all believe that he can get the job done. Sure. I don't think that they've bought into him as a culture and as yeah. a leader of their team. Which is funny because he's always been looked at as a like a um an offshoot of Pete Carroll himself, mm-hmm. right? Like he's he's always been looked at as like a an extension. Extension, thank you, yeah. Um but yeah, I hundred percent agree. Especially over the past couple of years, there's been some and again, I think this has to go back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. Um, this team has a serious identity crisis, and Russell Wilson's at the for, you know the forefront of that um, because he needs to um, throw or he wants to throw the ball around a bit more. Um, he wants to be able to um, be a Peyton Manning, really, or Drew Brees is what mm-hmm. he wants to be. Right. But that goes against the way the team was built, how the um, the offensive play calling. And, and the offensive structure has been put together. He, they, he, with the rest of the team, need to get together and say, hey, either we're going to go past first, this is how we're going to do it, or we're going to go run first, and he has to buy into that. Um, but I don't think the issues with this team can be fixed until everyone's on board with whatever direction they go down. Do you think Pete Carroll still holds the same level of gravitas I'll say mm-hmm. with the players today as he maybe did six seven years ago no no and and this goes on to what what uh, Richard Sherman said when he left he says that raw raw BS mm-hmm. only lasts it's only good for so long yeah um, and it's kind of like when you know when John Harbaugh left the the, the 49ers yeah. it's the same thing you can only be so hard or so soft and have it resonate for so long mm-hmm. before the, the players yeah, exactly, before the players. And that goes for any coach, unless you're a Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, and opinion, Not to mention it helps. I mean, sorry, it does not help. It gets exemplified when the, the results are so obviously awful. Yes. You know, it might be one thing if he's rah-rah and people are, like, rolling their eyes on the sideline mm-hmm. thinking he's cheesy. But if you're winning, you're just kind of like, oh, Pete, whatever. Right. Once you start losing, you're kind of like, ugh. And, and, and you see it too on the sidelines, right? You'll see Pete Carroll run around trying to give high fives, and no one's no one has the same energy as Pete. Yeah. And and that wasn't the same way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because of the results that are coming out. Um, but I, I I honestly think that um, 
he doesn't have, I don't want to say the same respect, but he doesn't have the same, his, his philosophy doesn't have the same impact on the players that it did back in, his, in, the, in the heyday for the Seahawks. So we'll just end it here then. Did Russell Wilson, should he stay or should we look to trade him and move on, blow it up? I think we would be absolutely crazy to trade away a franchise quarterback. I will say that. I know I'm probably in the in the um, the uh, minority here, but you don't get to where you want to be by trading away a franchise quarterback. You build your your team around that quarterback, and if that quarterback wants to be in a past first offense, then you build a past first offense. Yes, you're the head coach, but you have to coach the players that you have and if your coach your players are past first players on offense then you're a past first offense and you build your team that in that in that that manner so if you're in the camp of not trading him and i kind of tend to believe they should i'm I'm not gonna be leading a pitchfork and torch here but Mm -hmm. i do kind of feel i even feel it in the off season when he made that claim i kind of think that was the last straw on the camel's back of just losing the team. Like, mm-hmm. right, you don't want to be here. They documented that Dwayne Brown conversation. He had to sit down with Russell after he called out the offensive line and put him in check. Right. Right. Like, don't you ever call us out. Yeah. That's not what you do. You keep it in the clubhouse. That all being said, and obviously the, what you get in return dictates whether it's a worth it. Or which a good which deal. I guarantee you it would not be enough to replace him. Probably not. But the thing I would pose then is you would probably get away with saying the NFC West is the most competitive or maybe best top to bottom division. Mm. You could argue maybe it's a couple others, but I think that's not uncommon for a lot of people to bring up. Sure. You have the Rams, you have the Cardinals, you have the 49ers, all competing in the playoff spot. Right. If you're keeping Russell Wilson, you did say, you know, they should look to fire Ken Norton. What are you doing over the course of the next season or two with what you have, because you're not trading Russell anymore, right? to put us in competition? Because all these other teams, maybe the Rams, you could argue, are kind of in win-now mode. They, sure. they are a little more veteran. They've traded, obviously, for some high-profile players. So they're, they're maybe shelf life isn't as long, but like the 49ers, the Cardinals, they seem to have more longer projections sure. maybe out further. But what would you be doing then to, I, to maintain comp- competition and really put yourself in a position to win? I, I honestly don't think the Hawks are that far away. I know people are saying, okay, it's time to blow it up. It's time to start over. The Hawks aren't that far away. We have too much talent on this team. Um, we actually have decent depth as well. The, our problem is we don't have stars in the right spots. Mm-hmm. We don't have stars on the defensive line. We don't have any stars in the secondary. Um we don't have any stars on the offensive line. But wouldn't you say it's going to be hard to get stars without the first-round talent? No, because we have all that cap room. We don't need a boatload of players. We need supplemental players to come in. We have cap space. Yeah. We have some draft picks. You continue to use the draft to add depth to your team. You bring in some superstars on the defensive line, on your offensive line, um, and we're right back in the conversation. Because, again, the Rams, they're not going to – another year or two – they're going to have to start, you know, retooling themselves. Yeah. The Niners, I'm not sold on the long-term um, impact of Garoppolo. I mean, or, yeah, I was going to say the quarterback position is exactly. what's yet to show itself. Exactly. Um, the Cardinals will be a problem for a long time. Yep. But 
you can still be a good productive team having another high quality team in your division. It was that, that way with the Rams and the Hawks for the longest period of time. The Niners. Exactly. The days. Yeah. So I, I, I honestly think um, some well-placed free agent additions. I know we can't go back and add Bennett and Averill in the same right. free agency period. That, that was a fluke. But we can add some real talent, some top-tier talent with some, with some real money and um, offset some of our bad draft picks, I think, this offseason. And so, keep our quarterback. So in your, are you you're getting rid of Ken Norton? Easy. Keeping Russell. Are you keeping Pete and John both? For at least one more year. One more year, you'd give him another yeah. shot. Yes. And you're just looking to hire a couple of key free agents and pick up what you can in the draft. Exactly. Yeah. I I, I honestly don't think we're that far away. And again, I'll go back to this: if we trade Russell then you're essentially going to be tr- blowing everything up. You're going to be trading oh, away yeah. Tyler. You're trading away DK. Yeah. You're, you're trading away. You're trying to trade away Dredd Mall, which is probably not possible. But any talent that we have on the team, you're trading away. You're starting over from scratch. And I don't think that's, that's, that's too drastic. It's not, it's not time for that. It's, a, it's time for a retooling, not a makeover. Last question is what we'll end on. What is the Seahawks record next year? I, I, I can't say until I see – what would bring in in the offseason? I said this before the season started. I said that the Seahawks would not make the playoffs Give me this their year. their floor and their ceiling. I, I, I honestly, okay, from right now, mm-hmm. not knowing anything that's happening in the offseason. I mean, let's be honest. You, you've seen a track record of what the Seahawks typically do in an offseason with this team. Yes, but I think in this offseason, there's going to be a lot of urgency because Pete and John are going to feel the fire in that seat. And I think that they're going to meet some huge pushes because of that urgency, um, which is why I don't think Ken's going to be back. Even though they're number eight in the league, whatever, in defense, mm-hmm. there's no way he can be back. I think, um, again, and I'm not sure who's going to be a free agent this year, so I can't, I, I can't really assume. Sure. Right. Um, I know the Rams have at least one more year. The Cardinals obviously are, are not going to fall off. Um, I could see... A ten and six, or I guess what it'd be. Now it's a ten and seven. Ten and seven, um, or eleven and six. Yeah, somewhere in that range. A wild card team next year, um, with this the is potential. Their no, 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 no. That's that's an average. Okay. Um, I can see them going higher than that, but again, it all depends on wow. what they bring in. I, I'm telling you, this team is not that far away. We just need the talent in the right areas. You wouldn't be surprised if they won thirteen games next year. Thirteen and four. Um. I wouldn't. Wow. Yeah. And this is coming from a guy who said this year. This is takey. No, no, no. And this is coming from the guy who said before this season started that they weren't making the playoffs. You did say that. I said that. I said it numerous times to numerous people. Um, With the right coaching on that defense, with another year, again, remember this was Waldron's first year for OC, right? right? Yep. Oh, one one more item. We need a running back. I said this earlier. Mm -hmm. We have Carson for one more year. He can't come back. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm not being a jerk because I love Chris Carson. He can't stay healthy. Are we done with Penny? It's not happening. I'm, Penny's a whatever. Alex yeah. Collins, my dude. I'm not saying, I'm not I mean, saying, I'm not saying. This is fantasy as a, again, but two straight games of Penny. Yeah, but again. Blowing up. He's going to blow his hamstring or he's going to pull a butt cheek. He's going to do something <laughs> to, to, to ruin, ruin it. Okay. Um, 
but you know Alex Collins and some young young running back from the draft, I'm fine with. If Alex Collins is our starting running back, though, uh, uh, it can be it can be one of those. Uh, I think he's like the epitome of a backup. You, yes, he's like a fantastic backup. But he's that kind of player that Pete Carroll needs running the ball. Sure, he needs that straight ahead runner, which again is Carson as well. But Penny can actually, I'm sorry, uh, Collins can actually stay healthy. Uh, and again, if we have something similar to that in the draft, uh, which they've proven they can Please find, don't have him take another running back in the draft. I'm not saying in the second round, <laughs> yeah. like like uh, like uh, even DJ Dallas. I'm a huge fan of DJ Dallas. He's a nice third down utility guy. I think he can actually become something nice in this league. I'm actually a big fan of DJ Dallas. Um, but yeah, with a consistent running game, um, if we go to a, a pass first offense. Um, I can see I can see this team turning things around, but again, we have to have the additions in the right spots. D line primarily. Um, Thirteen and four would not surprise that. This is the most shocking thing you've said. Yeah. What's again, the lowest then? What would be the lowest? A five hundred. Five hundred team. Yeah. So you don't think they go below that? No, they're not going to be like this not year. not in a year where they're on the hot seat. I, I still, would be I, shocked if they won thirteen games. I would I would I would say. Twelve games, I would still be. I wouldn't. Pretty... I wouldn't put money on it. But if yeah. it happened, I wouldn't be like, you know what? I couldn't see that happening. Okay, I that... mean that's fair only because of reputation, in my opinion. No. I think it's because of the Seahawks. Yeah, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Russell Wilson. Yeah. So if they went and won thirteen games, it's not like people are in the media are just going to be like, "Whoa, where's this team?" Like it's not well, going to be like that. I th- I think it's like we were saying earlier, right? The team, as bad as they are. And losing to the crappy Bears, it's not like we don't have any talent. We have mm-hmm. talent there. Yeah. We just don't have anyone pulling the talent out of them. If we have a D coordinator pulling the talent out of that defense, the offense immediately gets better by 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 just being an uh, association. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like we talked about earlier, the amount of time they stay on the field because all the yardage they're giving up. Exactly. If they're not giving up touchdowns left and right. If you give Russell a ball more often and they have a more consistent run game, one year on, under the OC. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Boy, I'm going for I'm I'm, I'm I, I again as of right now this point in time with what we have now and assuming they 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 add enough in free agency, I'm gonna say wild card next year. I can't see higher than eleven and six. I think that's their ceiling. Mm-hmm. I, I, their floor to me literally could be five wins. Mm. To me, I would if they were five and twelve next year, I'd be like, yeah. Really, I couldn't. Surprising. I couldn't see that. I, I didn't. Mean, to your point, right? We don't know. We're not at the off season yet. So we have no idea. We don't even have rumors. Spectating. Yeah, we're completely yeah, yeah. Speculating. speculating. Yeah, completely speculating on free agents, draft picks, anything. So that could completely sway one. We'll we'll bring it back once they've actually done some moves. We're in the sure. off season. That being said, though, if it's more of the same, Ken Norton's still here. The offense is just kind of head scratching. I'm not going to say they're bad, but it's just head scratching at times and frustrating. I would not be surprised if we're a five and twelve team and we're picking in the top seven. If we're if, if Ken Norton's still here, we're definitely five and twelve. I guarantee you. Oh well, so we're five and twelve then. Yeah, because he's going to be. Oh, you're you're fired. assuming he's sticking around. I'm assuming he's sticking around. Okay, well that that's fair. If, if and I would agree if he's still around. That defense is not going to get. They're happened, not going to magically get better. If we're thirteen and four, and I know, I know you didn't say that's what you're guessing, but you said you that could be their ceiling. Mm-hmm. That means Ken Norton's interviewing for a head coaching job, if he's still here. 
if he's still here. Again, I said I said if he's gone. That's I did say that gotcha. before. Okay. I, I, he, so if he's here, that he's gone. Yes, if he, there's there's again. What's the what's the definition of uh, insanity? Um, Trying the same thing multiple times and getting and thinking thinking, thinking you're going to get different results. Exactly. Yeah. If they stick around with Kit Norton for the sixth year mm-hmm. and thinking things are going to get better, then Pete is goddamn insane. Do we get everything? I think so. Anything else you want to add? Great first podcast. Great first podcast. We appreciate the listen. Go ahead and hit the like if there is a like button. And other than that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.